You want to see the most beautiful thing I've ever filmed? It was one of those days where it's a minute away from snowing. And there's this electricity in the air. You can almost hear it. This bag was just dancing with me. Missing parts. The globe is not what you expect. Turns hard and was missing the book. This was a gift. I felt bad for my grandson. Overpriced. Planet Earth goes dark. Stop lighting up almost immediately. Couldn't get it to turn back on. A good prop as a component of my yoga shrine. Scratched base. Received with a scratch on the base. Scratch was not on surface of globe. I did not expect to receive a damaged base. Oh, it's not easy being green Spending each day the color of the leaves When I think it'd be much nicer like that Well, it's not easy being green You blend in with so many other ordinary things and people tend to pass you over because you're not standing out all flashy like sparkles in the water or stars in the sky
San Francisco. Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. From Sacramento, the heart of California, and around the world, Genuine Modern Radio. Radio Flom. My journey with thrifting has been, oh God, 15 years now. So I originally started when thrifting was not cool. I was made fun of for thrifting and people, you know, you're wearing rags. And I don't know if you kind of remember that time. It was very looked down upon. Actually, uh, I had a home that it was an older home. So my wife and I used to thrift and antique stores in like small towns where they don't charge too much. Mm. There used to be a lot of really good mm -hmm. antique stores up in Oroville. We furnished our entire house through thrifting and antiquing. Brilliant. Flomist Coyote creates talks thrifting. That's where it began. And for me, I was experimenting with my fashion. I, I liked wearing a lot of different styles. And the only way a 13 year old can really afford that is to go thrifting, right? So it would cost literally $2 for a pair of jeans. I became older and I started to really love fashion. And this is when I was turned in my early 20s. And I started shopping at Forever 21. And all these fast fashion places, H&M, I was obsessed with H&M. And I don't know, I don't know why, but it hit me. And I started realizing, you know, how am I getting 10 t-shirts for the price of one? You know, this is, there's something weird about this. And so after doing a lot of research, I started realizing just how, how terrible fast fashion is for everybody involved. The only people who are doing well are the people at the top of the chain. The sleeve workers that are working, you know, in Bangladesh for barely minimum wage. And so, you know, I started really learning this and that's when I became just obsessed. I just, I don't want to, I don't, I feel guilty shopping any other way. I don't, I don't want another way. And also I go to the mall now and I find everything so boring. There's, there's 10 versions of the same sweater in different sizes. And I'm kind of like, uh, this isn't fun. And with thrifting, I was allowed to be creative and I could buy a t-shirt for $5 and I could tie dye it and cut it up. And it wasn't, it wasn't the end of the world, you know, if, if it came out wrong or something. So that's kind of where my thrifting journey began. But to me now, it's just, it's just the, my way of life. I can bring it. I could stay fresh. My house can stay fresh. I just redecorated my bedroom last night and I, I stay inspired as an artist. I think it's really important to keep your, your space clean and, um, you know, inviting. And so I, I'm still obsessed with thrifting, equally as a threat, as obsessed, maybe even more <laughs> than I was. And it, it benefits everyone. It benefits, you know, the the shelters that some of these stores are open for, and it benefits the environment. It's just, it's just all win, win, win in my book. You learn to create your personal style over time. What would you say to someone who's just starting out and wants to explore a little more? I would say don't be afraid to try things and literally try things on. The thrift store is also a great place because there's so many different styles. There's styles from everywhere from the 60s to 2020, you know, and everything's in the style right now, which I think is really great. That's a positive thing of social media is all kinds of people are coming out and we have our beautiful like 
boho girls living on the beach and we have our city girls and we have just everything is in right now. So go ahead and just get weird. Try things on. See how they make you feel. And when you feel good, you look good. So that's what I recommend. And the only way you're going to know what makes you feel good is by trying on a lot of different things. What was your reaction when you saw Thrift Town in Ladybird? <laughs> Ladybird was my childhood. That was my that was me growing up in Sacramento. Ladybird always says that she lives on the wrong side of the tracks, but I always thought that that was like a metaphor. But there are actual train tracks. So I went to the the, the private school. I struggled as a teenager. So it just like, it really hit home. I was like, yep, I've been there more times than I can count. And I bought my prom dress from Thrift Town as well. So I loved that. I actually took a tour of Thrift Town years ago. They offered a behind the scenes tour to see exactly how they work. They took you in the back room. Ooh. And everything is fumigated. Um, they, they do make sure that uh, oh, really? that actually happens. I don't know how many thrift stores actually do that. But you recommend washing when you get it? Yeah, I always, I always, always. I Okay, see, I'm still a germaphobe, which is funny. Um, because when I go to the thrift store, I'm in gym clothes. I don't look, I, my hair's on top of my head. I'm in a headband, you know. I'm ready to get dirty. So I go and I shop and then I come home, shower immediately, and then wash my clothes in warm water. So nothing shrinks or whatever and everything is washed. So yes, please wash, for the love of God, please wash your clothes. <laughs> <laughs> So, so what are we going to hear here? Oh, Let the Rain is one of the very first sad songs I ever wrote. And I still really enjoy this song. It's kind of how I'm feeling right now. San Francisco is getting very foggy and very moody and it dropped 10 degrees. And so, you know, all my fellow creatives are just getting, we're just getting ready to create. So I guess this is the song that I that fits my mood right now. Looks like I'm talking to myself again. Looks like I am my only friend And all, and all my dreams are at an end And I'm afraid of my own Shadow. Don't have much to say unless I'm bored But now You gave me words to say Like I'm alive I'm on my own Looks like I'm sleeping alone again Looks like you were my only friend And To pass my shadow, have all the words my tongue is tied for. Now I'll take your advice and learn to live like I'm alive. And I. 
of Coyote Creates, from music to thrift to activism, head to youtube.com slash Coyote Creates. A lot of things come to life in the forest. Don't let fire be one of them. I'm Michael Powell. Used to be a wildland firefighter. I've been retired now, but I've been involved in fire management from like 1980 to 2018. Pretty much every single natural ecosystem in the United States adapted to fire to some extent. Typically, you know, it's like fires before, you know, white people actually arrived in the United States were mainly caused by lightning, although there was definitely some uh, uh, Native Americans that actually were using fire to actually manage the landscape also. So a lightning fire would start, and it would just burn, and it would burn, and it would burn, pretty much until it ran into another fire or the weather changed, and the, the weather actually put it out. Well, it's like the trees and grasses and brush and everything else adapted to fire happening every once in a while. So every single ecosystem in the United States and probably the entire world has adapted to fire to some extent. Some of these ecosystems, like if you go up on the Olympic Peninsula, the fire occurrence up there is very limited because it just rains so much. It's hard for fires to start and it's hard for them to keep going. Get to places like Ponderosa Pine Forests of Arizona and New Mexico and through most Ponderosa Pine Forests, a fire would start there and it'd burn as I can like say continue burning until it either ran into a bunch of rocks or the weather put it out and it would keep doing that uh, but the ponderosa pine forest would burn and they would actually burn practically every 15 years on average you know on average means it's like hey it may burn like you know one year and then three years later when there's enough pine needles back on the ground again but it may take as long as you know 30 to 50 years also before it actually burned again it really was totally random based on lightning strikes but these fires would burn and generally they'd be low intensity because the plants have adapted to that and they burn frequently enough where not enough vegetation and needles and sticks and brush can actually develop so that you actually have what we call problem fires today. Places like uh, you know the Olympic Peninsula up in Washington where it rains a lot, they would get a lot of vegetation buildup on the ground. But like I say, their fire season ends up being fairly short where you know, if fire did start, you know, it's like it's going to rain sometime and probably put it out. But those fires would be more intense just because there's more material to burn. A few other places like uh, Southern California, they got uh, their chaparral, which is a brush species that is definitely fire adapted. You got a bunch of different brush species down there that lightning would start down there and it would, you know, take out this big old patch of brush. But it, it happened frequently enough where it would really just run into other fires. You know, a lot of these things had very fairly frequent fire return intervals, like, you know, 10 to 15 years, you know, 30 years. Uh, sagebrush areas, it's generally like 75 to 100 year return interval. And grasslands, actually probably every, you know, potentially every three years. And so in the grasslands in the Midwest, most of those have been converted to farmlands and things. So there's not that big of a problem out there anymore. Once there was a little boy who liked to visit his friends, the trees. Hello, tree. Hello, boy. How's the little fella today? 
Now the little boy had a lot of fun with his friends and learned some very interesting facts about the trees. Their roots hold vital soil in place and prevent erosion. Their leaves replenish the oxygen in the air. Their summer shade preserves the moisture. Their falling leaves enrich and protect the soil, making a better world for all of us. Yes, trees are everybody's friends. Listen to Mother Nature. This is Radio Mom. Don't you think we should have taken the fall? How scared we would be if these walls could tell. was CO Rise and Fall 
Radio My favorite natural phenomenon has to be the Northern Lights. And the reason for that, honestly, is just because they look so fucking cool. Like, there's no way you can go and see the Northern Lights and not just be awe-inspired by what it is that you are seeing. It's just absolutely incredible that something in nature can do that. And just knowing that that's out there and knowing that that's just something that can happen on Earth is... It blows my mind every time I think about it. So yeah, that's that's why I think the Northern Lights are definitely my favorite natural phenomenon because they just they just look fucking cool. Hi guys, thank you for inviting me to this interview. I'm honored to be here. My name is Miu Dong. I'm an illustrator from Hong Kong. I created a collection of drawing with some messages. The series name is. Hey, human, see what you do. I want to convey a message to people through my work. The main message is animal protection. This is a serious issue. My art series received by the public. Many people support my art. They share and repost it in different social media. Otherwise, some people oppose it. They fight against my point of views. I'm so glad to receive all of the comments. That means my efforts attract people to awareness of animal cruelty. From being a little boy to till date, I always like to watch the nature documentary. It is my passion that makes me fall in love with the beautiful species on the earth. All of the creatures on the earth are beautiful, unfortunately. Many of them are in danger now, for which an effort to be made to save them. I think I have to try my best to change something for the animals, for the next generation, for our blue planet. I think illustration is easier than language and article to connect more people of different nationality. Everybody can cut the message into. Whereupon. I pick up the pencil to creating this art series. Everybody should do in their everyday life to do, or even better, eliminate this troubling issue. I hope everyone being able to distinguishing between wants and needs. Just think about it before you buy it and use. Then spreading the message to your family and friends. Make more people care about of the earth and the endangered creatures. I will try to use more technicals and materials to execute my art series in different media. I believe in saving more animals and safeguarding, and securing a better planet for the future generation. Believe in being united is powerful. If you want to know more about my art. Please follow my Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. M I L K D O N G C O M I C S. Mildon Comics. Stay touch. Love you guys. Bye. Instead of throwing away your aluminum cans, oil, and other reusable materials.
take them to the collection center. The power is yours! This is Radio Flaw, challenging the bourgeoisie since 1923. Like, lipstick on a cigarette, put your finger on the cut and push it against it. Like, I like the pain cause it keeps me awake. Can't sleep, don't put on the brakes. Put some money on it, show me the stakes. Make me rattle like a rattlesnake. Like, lipstick on a cigarette, put your finger on the cut and push it against it. Like, Push it against it like I wanna crash, baby, give me the cake I wanna live like I'm dying to day like One of the cars flying over a cliff Put your foot on the gas and push it against it like Put your foot on the gas and push it against it like was a brand new release from Lauren Rocket, Rattlesnake. Yes, more women, but also racist characters. Not like the classic version. Cheaply made, the pictures are a pain to put in the slots and they don't stay. They constantly slide down or fall out. Terrible quality. Just find the old version. So the big record store in town was Tower, but there was another record store in town that just went under last month called Dimple Records. Yeah. And they moved into a lot of the Tower locations. And now I'm talking to... Erie. I, a lot of people know me as Brian, but I, I've been gone by Erie for years. I actually worked at Dimple for 32 years. And about a year ago, we opened up a small version of a thing we called the cave. We called it the cave because it was a little tiny hole in the wall back behind the Sacramento Dimple. And we had collectibles, clothing, all, all the crazy stuff like that. We didn't carry music. We didn't carry anything that would compete with Dimple. We didn't carry that mm-hmm. stuff. But it went so well that we were surplusing merchandise and we needed a bigger spot. So we decided to move out. 
we packed it all up. And then a month later, Dimple said, oh, we're going out of business. So, of course, we were like looking for a new spot. Which leases are available? The one out here made the most sense. It's 9,500 square feet versus the old store was 800 square feet. And since Dimple's gone, we decided to add uh, CDs and movies and a lot of, of vinyl. And so far, it's going really, really well. So you're up in Folsom, which yep. is a little drive up from Sacramento on the way to Tahoe. We're, and we're a destination. <laughs> and Johnny Cash drops in when he's not playing in yeah, the prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm stuck in Folsom prison and time keeps dragging on. Now, the main thing we focus on here, when I used to work at Dimple in the early 90s, the late, late, late 80s, early 90s, it was a lot more fun. It was a lot more crazy, a lot more, you know, uh, just energy, you know? Yeah. So that's what we wanted to do with this, and so far it's working great. The music's a little louder, maybe a little heavier than, than you'd expect. We're not doing a lot of the, uh, we, we don't carry like uh, novels and books. We do carry some weird books and strange things like that. We've got comics and we've got graphic novels. and We're not trying to compete with Walmart and Target and Barnes and & Noble and things like that. We carry mostly used stuff. Yeah. You know, a lot of people ask us, are you going to carry all the new releases? I'm like, well, if you can walk into Walmart and pick it up, we're probably not going to carry it unless we have it used for a lot cheaper. Yeah. So it's it's just all about trying to have fun and keep an energy to it. We don't necessarily, like, I don't have a section of all the Star Trek isn't over here, the Star Wars. <laughs> it's, it's a treasure hunt. You got to walk around, you got to see what's there. And where I picked up on that was when we had the small store. It was just kind of scattered, and, and I'd be like, oh, I'm going to organize these. And people would go, please don't. I like going through this and browsing and finding little, you know. We're in such a thrift society today. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Back in the 90s when I had my first apartment, it was just sort of like, I am going to a lot of garage sales. Yes, exactly. And I see the world doing that so much today for money reasons, but also you can find some cool shit yeah. that's a hell of a lot better than the new stuff. You well, and, and, you know, we, we carry some, not necessarily one of a kind, but very rare not because it's rare, just because they don't make it anymore and hasn't been here for 20 years, you know? Yeah. And someone said that to me. Oh, these are the, Master of the Universe, Masters of the Universe figures from 2002. I like the old ones. I'm like, 2002 was 17 years ago. How old do you want them to be? <laughs> yeah, we get a little bit of that. And, and you know, the, the thing that I've learned more than anything is I don't know anything. There's so much to know about comics, so much to know yeah. about toys. So we don't want to be experts here. We don't want people to come in and feel like, oh, we know more about this than you. Half the time I'm asking customers, what is this? Yeah. You know, where, where do you, where, where do I find out more information on this? From 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day, we're, we're at Folsom at 313 East Bidwell uh, in the old Dimple building. The Dimple closed and four days later we were open, so. <laughs> <laughs> Don't call the ambulance. I'm not ready to drive. Our sensors indicate a huge whirling belt of alien matter approaching the Enterprise at warp six. Red alert, repeat, red alert. Activate view screen, Mr. Sulu. What you're looking at, Captain, is the Romvian pollution belt, formed hundreds of years ago. 
Wasn't it before people became aware of pollution and began pointing it out? Exactly. Once enough people started pointing out pollution, the pollution stopped. Yes, Mr. Spock. People finally got the point. I'm Woodsy Owl, and I'm here to tell you about a dirty word, pollution. In the city or in the woods, top keep America looking good. Some people have a deep, abiding respect for the natural beauty that was once this country. And some people don't. People start pollution. People can stop it. Write for Pollution Booklet, Buck, 1771, Radio City Station, New York. This planet is threatened with destruction and we who live in it with death. We are in a crisis of survival. This is a CBS News special, Earth Day, a question of survival, with CBS News correspondent Walter Cronkite. Good evening. A unique day in American history is ending, a day set aside for a nationwide outpouring of mankind seeking its own survival, Earth Day a day dedicated to enlisting all the citizens of a bountiful country in the common cause of saving life from the deadly byproducts of that bounty, the fouled skies, the filthy waters, the littered earth. Act or die. Several thousand Stanford students turned out to hear, among others, a television star whose sponsor sells detergents, Eddie Albert. This tiny little ball has only got so much, so much oxygen, so many acres of earth to live off of, so much water, if we ruin it, we're dead. Another speaker who vowed as a college girl never to bear children and who works now with Planned Parenthood, Stephanie Mills. I think that it's terribly important for us to begin to involve ourselves in politics so that we can turn the system around. Earth Day, this opportunity to take a look at the small space the universe grants us, turned out in some places to be a joke on ourselves. There were enthusiastic demonstrations in New York City today, for example, and at the same time, air pollution reached what officials called unsatisfactorily high levels. Both sulfur dioxide and carbon monoxide pollution doubled the accepted limits because of low winds which let the poisons hang in the morning air. Some quarters saw more than coincidence in the fact that Earth Day occurred on the 100th anniversary of the birth of Lenin, the father of Soviet communism. A high school in Boca Raton, Florida, postponed its activities until tomorrow. And the Comptroller General of Georgia, James Bentley, sent out $1,600 worth of telegrams warning that Earth Day might be a communist plot. The hoopla of Earth Day is over. The problems remain. Only time will tell if these demonstrations accomplished anything. Those who ignored Earth Day, well, that's one thing. Those who ignore the crisis of our planet, that's quite another. The indifferent have missed the point that to clean up the air and earth and water in the few years science says is left to us means personal involvement 
and may mean personal sacrifice the likes of which Americans have never been asked to make in time of peace. The sense of today's teaching was that America must undertake a revolution in its way of life. Affluent America will, we were told, almost certainly have to scale down its standards of living, give up having as many cars, as many children, as many cans, as many conveniences, as much conspicuous consumption. Someday, we heard today, the world will be a better place if it listens and acts. But in the meantime, perhaps for a generation or more, it will be frighteningly costly to each of us to clean up the mess each of us has made. But the cost of not doing so is more frightening. That's what today's message really means. And those who marched today, and those who slept, and those who scorned are in this thing together. What is at stake and what is in question is survival. This is Water Crime Guide. Good night. On December 2nd, 1970, President Richard Nixon consolidated 15 environmental programs from across the federal government to form the United States Environmental Protection Agency. EPA went to court. Factories were shut down. The message got through. Gross pollution would no longer be a part of business as usual in the United States. Armed with these authorities, EPA has demonstrated that the ideals of Earth Day 1970 could be forged into effective instruments of national policy. Well, I'd have to say that my favorite place in nature is Ocean Beach in San Diego. I could just sit there in the warm breeze and stare out at the ocean and I'm happy. And now, Asioteric and the Future Past Lives, LA is burning. Summer black.
with the forest burned away, the little boy doesn't recognize his favorite spot. He can hardly recognize his little friends. The fire was out and the beautiful forest was gone. Fire would just happen. And the Indians would actually use fire to actually control things. And they may actually burn around their villages and stuff like that just because they know at some point in time the fires would actually come in and uh, threaten the things that they valued also. But they would also go into fires afterwards. Definitely the, about five years after a fire, the deer browse is a whole lot better so they could actually get better hunting and all sorts of other benefits. You know, some of the species that come up immediately after the fires are used for their, you know, medicinal purposes and things. You know, the ecosystem really did just adapt to that. When pretty much the Europeans started coming into the country and settling out west, there was a series of strikes that actually burned huge communities up in Montana and, and actually quite a few different places in the west. And after that point in time, they actually said, okay, we need to do something about these fires. So shortly after the 1900, they developed you know, our land management agencies, U.S. Forest Service, National Park Service, Bureau of Land Management, uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, those are the main uh, federal agencies. And these agencies agencies started actually putting out their fires and you know at first they weren't extremely effective but they didn't actually have to be effective because there wasn't a lot of development everywhere so they just had to make sure the fires didn't burn into things that people actually valued and at some point in time they developed what they called the 10 a.m policy so they expected every fire that started to be out by 10 a.m the next morning so it's like and that was a fairly aggressive fire response so they started putting these fires out. This is probably 1910s, 1920s, 1930s that they started doing this. And as they're starting to work on this, they start to organize their fire crews and organize their fire suppression equipment. You know, industrial revolution kicked into gear and we get more and more mechanized equipment and airplanes and everything else like that. You know, our options to actually put out fires got better and better and we got better at putting these fires out. Uh, but meanwhile, throughout all this time where we're trying to actually put out all the fires, the vegetation continues to grow. And as vegetation continues to grow, that means we got more vegetation that'll burn and the next time a fire starts. You know, we did do a lot of logging in those ages and actually that continued into like the 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s where we really started as like I say, mechanized equipment got better and everything. We started actually, you know, logging substantial amounts of lands and we started grazing lands, you know, brought in a bunch of sheep and cattle and everything else like that that would graze the grasslands and pretty much all these activities kind of limited, you know, how far a fire would go or how big it would go. But those areas that they weren't logging and everything else like that, they were now, like say, allowing the brush to grow, allowing the needles to drop, allowing all this, uh, what I call biomass to develop on the forest floor and uh, continue to do things. And not only just biomass, it's like you would have a set of tall trees with not much undergrowth underneath it, but those trees would actually put down seeds. So you get a bunch of little trees and then you get even more little trees or littler trees underneath that. So that created conditions in our forest where you pretty much had branches and needles from the ground level to the tops of the trees, which allows for crown fires to happen more often than not. And so it's like all this stuff was kind of going unchecked except for some of the logging operations. But the logging operations, you know, they were doing okay, but they were still leaving a lot of stuff on the ground. All the branches from the trees were left on the ground, and they were replanting these areas so you get new trees coming back up. So plants just continued to grow. We kept uh, putting fires out, and fires would not spread throughout the ecosystem. 
Central Plains Biosphere Reserve. The Central Plains Biosphere Reserve, established in 1976 and withdrawn in 2017, was a UNESCO Biosphere Reserve located in the western central Great Plains in north-central north Colorado in the short grass prairie. The, nope, 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 all right, look what you did to me, nope, see... In 1924, at Hubert Bayer's suggestion, Walter Gropius abolished all use of majuscules in all printed matter and correspondence at the Bauhaus. Henceforth, only the lowercase would be used. Bayer argued that the use of the devil alphabet is anacrostic. The voice does not make capital sounds. Why, then, should the eye require them? Moreover, in the interest of speed and efficiency, it is more economical to employ a single lowercase alphabet. Arthur Ray Cohen, Herbert Bayer, The Complete Work, MIT Press, Cambridge, Massachusetts, 1984. About the same time as Bayer persuaded Gropius to eliminate capital letters and impose the use of sans serif on the Bauhaus typographic workshop, he also undertook the design of a new typeface. Known as Universal Type, Bayer sought to design a sans-serif face constructed out of a minimum of geometric elements, several arcs, three angles, and a vertical and horizontal line. Bayer did succeed in creating a machine alphabet that would meet the four criteria he had set. Simplification in the interest of legibility, clean proportions grounded on basic geometric elements, renunciation of serifs, and adaptation to typewriter and machine print. The universal type had a limited success, but it established Bayer as one of the few of his generation who addressed the problem of a machine type from the vantage point of the new functional typography. Like, Bayer was being green before green was even a thing. Since type was cast from metals, his creation in the unicase font would only require one case of type, cutting a typical font's ecological footprint by 50. One font for all! Which today makes ABC television and bagpipes made by Dyson, hmm. This is ABC. Today we're talking to the original Share the Ride with a Friend Man. Uh, you, sir, are Noah of Noah's Ark fame. That's right. I had two lizards, two monkeys, two snails, two snakes, and two rhinos get together and share the ride. Mm -hmm. So today the best thing you could advise people to do is... Share the ride. It worked out for us. And so when you share a ride with somebody, make an animal noise. Oh, yeah. It's kind of fun. Uh, by the way, did you call it carpooling way back then? No, we did not have that word. Oh, yes. Yeah. The best way to fight pollution is right at our fingertips. way to fight pollution is right at our fingertips. So come on, America. Next time you see someone polluting, point it out. Radio
Jerry Simpson. I became a fashion designer many years ago, but moving to Sacramento, I spent the last 20 years being a visual artist. It wasn't until 2017 that I decided that I would return back to fashion. Denim became my fabric of choice because I had read an article that fashion had become the second most highest polluter to the world next to oil. So I tried to figure out what I could do. And as I looked outside the door of my studio, everybody that walked past my studio had on something that was denim. So I put out a call to, um, if anybody had any denim that they didn't want, I'd take it. At first, I didn't get a response. And then one day I went to work and there was this huge trunk outside my door and it was filled with denim. I don't know if the average person really realizes that it takes approximately 1,800 gallons of water to produce enough cotton to make one pair of jeans. So that's my reason and that's my passion for collage and denim. Thank you. Woman-owned and operated, handmade, cruelty-free, vegan fashion from Miami, Florida. Radio Flom talks to the owner of Anastasia Bones Couture, Anastasia Bones. So you quit retail and decide, I'm going to jump entirely into fashion. Yeah, my mom actually, um, my my first real job was at All Saints. It's a British clothing brand, and I loved it. I loved the clothes. Um, it's they're known for their leather and their wool, all things that I'm against now. But at the time, I was totally all for it. Um, I remember I saved up my money. I got um, I didn't pay this much, but I got a nine hundred and fifty dollar nine hundred and fifty dollar uh, lamb leather jacket, and I was so proud of it. I remember posting it and like on my Instagram being, oh, lamb leather with goat suede. Like I still post it sometimes to this day and be like, this is disgusting. But um, so I was working at All Saints as my first real job when I was 18. I got promoted really fast. I went from seasonal to just a regular associate to stock manager to a floor manager. And my goal was to one day be a a store manager. And um, I ended up I realized it's not for me, so I had to leave. And then that's when I was like, okay, I'll find something better. I couldn't find anything. That's when I called up my dad and I was like, hey, can you talk to the district manager at Bed Bath & Beyond? You know, I need a job. (laughs) So I went to Bed Bath & Beyond. I realized this is like really far from what I wanted. Like I was thinking like maybe I should call All Saints back up. Maybe I should figure out how to get back in that. So then when I went to New York for vacation with my mom and my boyfriend, my mom and I were talking and um, she's like, why don't you do something in fashion? That's like what you love. Like all, all you talk about is like new clothes that you bought and like new seasons and this and this and that. I was like, I never thought about that. And coincidentally enough, I have two sisters that are professional seamstress. So it's like, there's no excuse. Like I should totally just try this and see what happens. So uh, my sisters, they're seamstress for, uh, small brands that do kids clothing and so oftentimes they would make bloomers for kids and I would always say like well can you make me some I think they're so cute like you can make bloomers sexy it's like you know what I mean like but they would always say no we can't we like we have signed contracts we can't you know change these patterns or use these patterns for anything outside of what they're 
telling us to do. So I said, well, what if we came up with our own pattern? And they're like, why not? So we just got together. It was mostly my sister, Ali, and I. We worked together and we uh, got our first pair of bloomers done. We had quit Bed Bath & Beyond in March. And then we launched Everything Was Ready in November, November 16th. Ali and I, ever since then, we have just gotten together and, and our brains together. I usually will draw things out and she'll just bring everything to life. And the goal of the brand was basically for me, it was like, okay, I'm vegan now. It started not really that ethical. I was more like, I want to like find a brand that is completely vegan, that doesn't have leather and wool and all these things. I don't want to put my money towards that. I wasn't quite thinking about sweatshops and, you know, what goes the landfill and fabrics and polyesters. I wasn't thinking about that in the beginning. I was just thinking, let's do something edgy and vegan because I couldn't find any edgy brands that were completely vegan. So like All Saints, is, it can be really edgy. They have a lot of dark colors. You know, like I said, leather, it's very, like, very cool. And I just couldn't find everything vegan that I found was, you know, natural colors and natural cotton and mm-hmm. all these natural, natural, natural. And it's like, I want black. I want like studs and like sexy. It's like, you can't like, everybody's just wearing the same shirt and pants. It's like linen. I'm like, okay, like, cause is there, is there anything else out there? So that was the goal was to just do something vegan. And then we actually had an opportunity to go to vegan fashion week. Uh, which was February. So that was like four months and not even four full months of having the brand. And it was like this crazy, crazy thing, crazy opportunity that my, my boyfriend financed. He's so nice. And um, when we were there, we had a lot of people asking, Oh, what is this made out of? And one of my favorite things that we made was this really simple, like plain, we called it the lucky mesh top. It didn't even have like hemmed edges. It was all really raw. It was like just cut and sewn real quick a little bit baggy and and people kept asking what is this made out of and I, at first I was like oh it's polyester it's vegan and then people started saying oh well, like do you know how bad polyester is for the environment and when polyester goes to the landfill it's never ever going away it's just gonna sit there forever so it wasn't until that we did vegan fashion week that I was like oh man we need to like take a step back and make this ethical in all senses, not just that we're avoiding using animal products, but also that we're using products that are good for the environment or for the most part break down or are better when they produce, you know, I know cotton, they still use so much water. It's not even like, it's not even, it's, it's crazy how much water they use, but we do our best. We try to use a lot of bamboo now because bamboo, like it regenerates on its own. So it's really, really environmentally friendly. And also a big thing in our brand is that we don't throw away any of our scraps. So if you know anything about the fashion industry, uh, there's always leftover fabric because you cut out a pattern and then there's like so much fabric left. I actually heard a statistic once. It was over 50% of the fabric goes to waste. I don't know if that's true. That's what I heard. Um, I could say because I come from the printing industry, it's uh there is a lot of waste with a lot of this stuff i used to drive printers crazy by if i was printing something i would put extra little small things like business cards and other things what we call gang running to get as much printed as possible and uh yeah it's when you see a recycling bin and recycling is not great for the environment Uh, printing itself is not great for the i've come to the conclusion if there's money involved 
humans are going to do the worst things possible to get as much money as possible. Exactly. And I think the world is kind of getting fed up with that. We're really seeing it playing out today. And I see you have plus sizes. As we're, you know, learning and, and meeting new people and going to new events, uh, we're getting a lot more requests for plus sizes. So we, we have so far had one model that was plus size. She was super cool, super fierce. So we're working, we're hoping to work with more plus size models to get the word out there. And also since we make everything in house, we always do custom sizing. Anybody can order something on our website and just put in there like, by the way, you know, so uh, my niece, for instance, so we started doing kids clothes. She's um, a size kids, five waist, but seven length legs. So we would, you know, do the five waist and the seven length legs. Anybody can request that on our website. We'll make anything to any size. So it's really easy. We're already basically, we already were willing to do it, but we just recently are showing with models and such that we do provide plus sizes. You were talking about the scraps. Yes. I was impressed when I saw your sale where you were taking your scraps and making them into different useful things. That's what we do with every single scrap. We save everything. We find new purposes for everything. Even if it's not with Anastasia Bones, we use it elsewhere. And there's a lot of scraps, so it's very overwhelming. We have like bags. In my mom's attic right now, we have like five bags just like waiting to be made into things. But we always, like you said, we do a lot of pouches, a lot of scrunchies, and we also do some hand bags with the leftover fabric just to keep it from going to the landfill. Are you working with thrift? We've been wanting from the beginning to go to a thrift store and 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 get things like you said with our skirt. We've we've actually talked about going to the thrift store and, and buying jeans and using the jeans like you said your friend does and the skirt. We want to do it. We haven't done it. We're, we want to be mm -hmm. more of like a boutique -y sort of thing. There are like events. There are like events that only allow brands that use new new materials. So we, and that since didn't want to limit ourselves, but we're really open to the idea and we want to do it. And of course, I will publicly say that the best way to you know update your wardrobe, the best yeah. environmentally friendly way, is to go to the thrift store by use. And I will happily say that all day long. And I do sometimes do mm -hmm. that. I don't shop at stores anymore. But at this point, I'm just making my own clothes or somebody gives me things. My main goal is to be able to make enough money to provide work for my mom and sister. And, uh, and my other sister, Elizabeth, if she wants to come uh, back, she just had another baby. So she's taking a break. I don't, I don't know if I mentioned here that my sister, yeah, I said my sister makes everything. My mom is now on board. So we make everything in our homes. We take the time and care to do everything. I package everything by myself. I'm checking everything, pulling on strings, making sure everything's perfect. So I would hope that our quality is better than any fast fashion brand. I, I was mad at Target years ago because I fell in love with the David Bowie line that uh, was done by Keenan Dufty. Mm -hmm. And all the clothes fell apart. That's crazy. But it's also, it also has to do with like using natural fabrics. Honestly, like natural cotton fabrics, if it's thin, it's not going to last long. Like it's, it's so sad to say, but it's the truth. They get holes, it gets worn in the washing and dryer all the time, you know? 
That's the only way that polyester is better, but we still don't use it. <laughs> polyester really does last forever. <laughs> I remember hearing this years ago in the t-shirt industry, if you want to put your logo on a shirt and you want someone to wear it forever, uh, make sure it's at least a 50% poly blend. Yeah. So where can our listeners find you? So our website is AnastasiaBones.com. That's where you can purchase all of our things. We are always on our Instagram, which is AnastasiaBonesCouture. We're on that almost every day. I do my best. If I get messages, I'll always reply. And that's where we are, you know, most interactive is there. So if anybody wants to find us, I would recommend going on Instagram, following Anastasia Bones Couture. And through there, you can get our website. Anything else you want to say? I did. Is there any way that I could give a shout out to, um, it's called Fake Movement in LA. So Fake Movement in LA has really given us a, a lot of opportunities and we go there um, sometimes like every other month or so. They do a pop-up usually every month and it's just an ethical, all-vegan pop-up shop and it's a whole movement. So it's, it's fashion for animal kingdom and environment and they're just educating people. Um, Jonathan and Suseli, they, they do it all themselves and... Uh, they don't make any money doing it. They provide great, like, great space for a very low cost for brands like me who want to go out and and the client, the clients that come in are people who are looking for what we're providing. And and they also have done the the fake museum where they they showed um, a lot of information about um, what goes into fashion and fast fashion and why we should be supporting slow fashion and. Um, I just wanted to give them a shout out because they've done so much for me and I want a lot of people to, to know about them. I'm glad someone ran with the name Fake Movement because uh, FWAM has been a fake movement that turned into a real movement. So Yeah, <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Radio FWAM. We are all FWAMists. You can be too. Plum's first ever pinup calendar for the next year is now available in our limited edition store. Featuring Lexi Nicole, photographer by Cliff Buttermilk George, and photo montage by Steve Mahalo. Suitable for framing or use as an actual pin to hang it just about anywhere, you can hang things with pins. Order yours at flom.us slash flommers or flom.us slash commerce. Great gift item, or be selfish. Get one for yourself and only yourself. Flum calendar. You need one. Or more. And now, TKI Media. Odessa, say my name. The Dance With Me Mix.
Listening to Radio Flom. For us, the moderate people of the world. I am a radical moderate. I will do radical things with a moderate message. People start pollution. People can stop it. It's kind of funny. It's like I think when John Muir first came over and you know checking out Yosemite Valley and the Sierra Nevada mountains, you know, it's like he actually wrote in a bunch of his books. It's like, yeah, hey, we do see these fires happening. You know, his pictures of Yosemite Valley aren't clear because there's always smoke in the air. You know, it's like this is, you know, like say when the Europeans really first started coming over to, to the West. And, you know, it's like there's definitely the fires that were around. Smoke was a part of the ecosystem. He said, yeah, you could pretty much find any forest and just like run, you know, it's like full speed ahead on a horse through that forest. And it's like and not have anything in your way because fires burn frequently enough where, like I say, there wasn't the brush, there wasn't the big logs, there wasn't the sticks and needles on the ground, and there wasn't a bunch of little trees growing up everywhere. One day, the little boy got to wondering about things. He wondered about the birds and the bees. He wondered about the clouds and the rain. When he wasn't wondering about things, he liked to play in the stream. One day the stream ran brown with mud and overflowed its banks. This set him wondering where all the mud came from. I am the spirit of dark and lonely water, ready to trap the unwary, the show-off, the fool. And this is the kind of place you'd expect to find me. But no one expects to find me here. It seems too ordinary. But that pool is deep. The boy is showing off. The bank is slippery. 
The show-offs are easy. Oh, look, there's someone in the water. Quick, use that big stick to get him out. Sensible children. I have no power over them. In the muddy water we're crawling home 
Chopstick, and where can people find your stuff? Uh, my main website's andrewway.net. That's A-N-D-R-E-W-W-A-Y.net. From there, I have links to my Bandcamp, my SoundCloud, Instagram, uh, Facebook, the Twitter, all all those sites. I try to I try to update each one uh, somewhat often, but I'm usually not. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with my updates. You're as plugged in as all of your equipment, right? As much as I can be, I guess. But uh, a lot of the hang, like updating everything and having like proper format for stuff is one of those things I need proper discipline on. Like I'll do a live set and then record it, and it'll just stay on the hard drive for months to years. Like I have a huge backlog of recordings I have not put up yet. But my blog, I try to keep, I try to put some stuff up. Just timed content, right? Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot of stuff to go through. Um, well, what I certainly noticed about your act is is the use of the theremin, mm -hmm. which I super appreciated. I, I noticed that you're using what was that that you were using to to get that, uh, for lack of a better term, as I said many times actually this, this evening, um, the wobbling motion <laughs> in your music. Um, it's actually a metal sewing needle. A metal sewing needle. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. And I, I'm guessing it wouldn't work with any other material. The the theremin's working off off of our own barley frequency. Right. Could you so, actually take a moment to explain what a theremin is? Because many of our oh, viewers right. probably um, don't even know what uh, that is. So if we go back historically, I think we're coming up to a hundred year the hundred year anniversary of the theremin. So Leon 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 Theremin, uh, or Theremin, he was a he worked for like the Russia's KGB as a, as a spy and like worked in radios and everything. And then he had I guess he developed the theremin. And so it's the it's the only instrument you play without touching it. So you have a uh, two two antenna arms on it, one controlling volume, one controlling pitch. And so using sweeping motions and uh, a steady hand, you can play perfect songs, vibratos, a lot of sweeping motions to it. And my setup is using a Moog Etherwave Plus, and that allows control voltage outputs to control the Eurorack. The main part of my setup is the Eurorack uh, modular uh, synthesizer stuff, and the theremin is controlling aspects of that. And so instead of just playing straight through, I can control, I can basically like do a lot of changes to the wave shape that you can't play at that you can't do with a theremin normally. Yeah, it's a it's an older device, and what I love about all these noise performances is there's all sorts of stuff on everybody's table, mm -hmm. from, from new to old. What what made you want to bring something, like an older device, into a newer performance for yourself, that, that like retro refreshing? I've been playing theremin for 15 years. I've played in various bands, uh, jam bands and spooky bands, and I've incorporated theremin into my own solo solo work uh, many times. And for 
many years I I wouldn't play it or I'd only play it like live in certain scenarios but this last year has been very theremin heavy for me and I've been enjoying a lot more and that that's in due to getting into the Eurorack modular synthesizer setups because all that allows um, uh, more control there and so there's a lot of aspects that I can control and manipulate with it and not that many people are actually doing it uh, that way right now so uh, you said you know you're you're growing back more into it with with this instrument, but what are some of the other things you're using? The other stuff I'm using is uh, mostly like all all the other sounds have been Eurorack modular synthesizer stuff. So there's a the underlying drone was using the Akemi's Castle um, that is utilizing the same Yamaha chip that's been popular in like the Yamaha DX7 and other digital synthesis stuff. So a lot of a lot of uh, Eurorack and uh, modular synthesis stuff focus on the analog aspect of it but they don't get much into the digital stuff so like Yamaha the Yamaha chip is it uses a different model of synthesis than what because uh, like so when you go to like the Buchla and the Moog era it's it's basically using sine waves and sawtooth waves and uh, you're basically like stacking these and using filters to shape them into sounds that you'd want out of them to make sounds like either a flute or a bass or sounds typical that typical of that analog synth sound but it, when you get to the digital synthesis you have additive uh, synthesis and what they have there is operators that are basically stacked on top of each other that are all controlling different elements of it. And so the outcome of it is a very deep and very crazy wave shape that you can't get with analog synthesizer stuff. But the theremin sounds were more analog sounds. And then like I had a third thing that was doing like kind of the TikTok back and forth. And so like, those are just envelope shaping. It's like, yeah, that's kind of the stuff. But it's like, in all, I had three main instruments that I was kind of working with, but it's all in the uh, synthesizer. So now I noticed that you were talking a lot about the technical aspect of your music, which, <laughs> yeah. you which is really cool. Doing. Yeah, you really seem to know what you're doing. So is that what got you into this? It, what sort of in, inspired you to get so into this technical aspect of noise I um, like so I started on in my my teens and my early 20s I played guitar and so I played guitar a lot and I you can with guitar you can get so many sounds out of it but I'd always have issues like trying to record guitar or trying to like get a sound that I wanted out of guitar and then like I got turned on to a couple early synthesizer type albums and then like I, I delved into like the Moog Mania stuff that came out in the 60s and then the, uh, later the Buchla stuff that came out on the West Coast, so like um, uh, Morton Subotnik, Silver Apples on the Moon, like these, like, where, and that's like more generative composition versus like the Moog stuff is more, let's have a synthesizer, but let's put a keyboard on it so people can play classical pieces. And so, um, what I like about the synthesizer is you don't need a keyboard to play it. You can play it, you can send sequencers to it, you can send computer data to it, you can send, um, uh, light you can and so like there's many aspects of the theremin that isn't just controlled by a keyboard a lot of people look at the synthesizer just as a type of keyboard thing and it's way more uh, what's going Sorry, on over there's here a, there's a fight going on across the street this is interesting someone's I, getting kicked out of a bar across the street right now well the noise performance just and and so they're trying to recreate it with their own noise. <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah they so, seem to be doing quite well um but yeah I, I guess like my mind goes into the technical aspect of it but there is a like inner meditative 
um, aspect a goal that I'm trying to get with my with my own sounds and so stacking the sounds and it, a lot of a lot of tonight's performance was based on like reacting to the room reacting to myself and reacting to like so m- more so. improv than pre-established yes. or the order okay yeah I, I like I have an overall like uh, concept of where all the pieces are going um, and tonight a lot of the setup I had used at a previous um, audio waffle that we do um, here in Sacramento and so a lot of it's I, I just performed last month and a lot of tonight's was based around that same setup um, a lot of what I do each set is I try to change up everything so even though I'm using some of the same gear the order it's going to be in the pacing of it uh, it's going to be it's going to be different so I'm trying to get different sounds every time do you have something that's familiar though to to your sound something that is kind of a staple yeah um, the secret recipe is two oscillators slightly out of tune from each other and so to give to give a proper example is like um, if you're tuning the guitar and you got two strings playing the same note but one is slightly out of tune there's a waiver that happens between the two and a lot of people disregard this they don't want that sound they want those t- like if they want the a on this note to equal the a on or the a on the string to equal the a on the other string and so if um, but if you slightly alter these and you're balancing to the semitones you have a like a a it's at the, the universal standard is a is at 440 hertz so that's the that's the the speed of the waveform so if you have an a at 465 and an a at 440 you you have different waves actually changing they're connecting with each other yeah and so i i delved way into like music theory and e- even like what we as Western culture, how we tune our instruments, and how like other countries tune their instruments, and how like we really didn't only had a, a standard of this within the last within the last hundred years. Like in 1910 in England, they had determined um, the proper standard of like the A equals 440. And so if you find instruments from the 1800s and you you try to tune it or whatever, it's going to be slightly out of tune because everyone's ear at that point was based on what they thought was in tune. You know, there's there's still other countries that use instruments that don't use the Western tuning scales. So you you said you started with guitar, and I think that's a pretty <laughs> common starting spot. But for someone who's starting to hear this, hear about noise, but don't don't really want to go buy like digital equipment or don't want to go to the audio waffle and try out, but just want to start getting a little weird. Mm-hmm. What what should they do to experiment to just start dipping their toes in the water for it? So it, like these are established musicians that want to play out and Maybe try establish or, or just uh, someone playing in their bedroom and before they really even master the guitar they go I want to start getting weird yeah. I want to start branching out to something I, I'm not hearing besides in the noise scene How, where, like where can one we start? Um, okay so one one good example like so tonight we had um, Simdrome um, he is he has been coming to the he's been coming to our waffles regularly and tonight he played just with a guitar but he had metal objects on top and so if if you want to if we're talking about like uh, experimenting music and changing the music of aspect of things it's more or less like uh, you can learn your instrument as 
the books teach us. Um, but once you start to expand your creativity, it's starting introducing other elements to it. So, um, you know, John Cage's prepared piano is a great um, uh, example of this because uh, so John Cage had he was assigned to write music for a dance and he wanted to use percussion, but the place only allowed for a piano. And so he introduced the, the prepared piano. So he took a bunch of bolts and nuts and springs and other things and uh, latched them onto the piano. So as you play it, instead of it making uh, the typical piano notes that make you plinky plunky and other stuff. So he would compose music using this prepared piano. And so like that's the first kind of concept that, you know, just thinking about that. And so like what Simdrone did was he attached uh, metal objects and he was brushing onto the strings and stuff to create entirely different tones and stuff. And uh, a lot of other people might use microphones to capture sounds other than other than singing maybe tearing paper up maybe uh trying to trying to freeze it and defrost it or like maybe you know like a a lot of there's a lot of experiments out there that have already been done but what's great about noise in general and avant-garde in general is the element of like there's nothing that's uh not passe or i mean experimenting is great for anybody to get to get into and some people can do digital stuff i mean i could probably go on for a minute so yeah so so it seems to to sort of wrap that up if you want to start getting weird with your sound you just gotta get weird for you know for yeah for like basically like look at your instruments and look at your equipment you have and And think how can i break this yeah how, (laughs) how can i break this how can i change it up how can i um add a new element to it and there's just a lot of great musicians out there. Like I, I got into like the people that were doing tape splicing and changing, um, you, basically manipulating tapes to As in do today, other things. Like still doing tape splicing? Yeah. So today, like that's, that's still a thing. Wow. And um, and like uh, like uh, so Christian Mark Clay is uh, he's a turntablist, but what he would do is he'd take old records chop them up and glue them together in different orders so as it, the record would play you'd hear this tick 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 of where it was where it was at from but the physical hear, damage too yeah. right but you'd have uh jimmy hendrix bach mozart um jimmy hendrix bach mozart and it would like tick 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 through as you hear all these pieces and then that was his that was how he was creating music and then like other people might take a turntable and run uh uh different objects through that needle so there's like other thing a lot of things out there whatever can vibrate whatever can make uh noise whatever can be um i mean i've even heard like people like puncturing the speakers in their amps in order to get a very raw distorted sound uh because like yeah if you put a screwdriver through the the cone not 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 well that's the most outlandish (laughs) thing i think i've ever heard someone do just deliberately destroying like a 200 something dollar piece of equipment to get the sound they want out of it that's amazing and even better if you found it (laughs) (laughs) so it's the, the purest form of broken is if you just find it on the side of the road. I love it. Yeah, I was talking to another, so uh, Robbie, who does Human Fluid Rot, he's playing later this weekend. Um, we're talking about pedals and where we've got them and whatnot, and how I had found a bunch at Target um, on Clarence because they try to introduce a music line uh, for budding musicians, and they just sold a bunch of really cheap, shitty pedals. And so I took those in, opened them up, rewired them, and tried to make other sounds out of them. And, played with them so like other aspects you can get into like circuit bending you can get into i mean there's soldering your own circuit that is soldering your own circuits yeah youtube is great for all this now too yeah radio flaw
Al Gore. An Inconvenient Truth, 2006. If you look at the 10 hottest years ever measured, they've all occurred in the last 14 years. And the hottest of all was 2005. scientific consensus is that we are causing global warming. I am Al Gore. I used to be the next president of the United States of America. Al Gore. An inconvenient sequel. Truth to Power. 2017. Our ability to live is what is at stake. The most criticized scene in the movie An Inconvenient Truth was showing that the combination of sea level rise and storm surge would flood the 9-11 memorial site. And people said, what a terrible exaggeration. Hurricane Sandy slammed into New York City last night, flooding the World Trade Center site. Storms get stronger and more destructive. Watch the water splash off the city. This is global warming. Virtually every nation in the entire world agreed to get to zero greenhouse emissions. It is unprecedented. It's time to put America first. That includes a promise to cancel billions in climate change spending. Our plan will end the EPA. The next generation would be justified in looking back at us and asking, what were you thinking? Couldn't you hear what the scientists were saying? Couldn't you hear what Mother Nature was screaming at you? Definitely a global warming situation happening at this point in time. It has been scientifically proven. It's like the Earth is heating up faster than it has ever heated up in known history and they, they're able to do a bunch of things to determine that you know whether it's looking at tree, tree rings and that includes old tree rings from like petrified trees and and stuff in Anasazi buildings and everything else like that and they're able to develop a timeline it's like in the earth has never heated up as fast as it's heating up right now and so that global warming thing is actually you know changing the situation also if you look at the fire occurrence associated with global warming especially down in California it's like the fires are getting bigger they're getting harder to put out the fire season is lasting through the winter which it didn't used to do before you know it's like and that's and the fire seasons throughout the United States they're getting longer uh, they're getting more severe we're getting more severe fires. It's definitely a difficult process to actually deal with all these things. There is no magic way of replacing a forest. Trees take time. The best music, we play it all for you. And now, Vanna O and Annie's A Bear Named Sue.
Vana O Music can be found on Instagram and at vanao.com because it's all just a hologram anyways. Reality, it's one of those rare materials that we can just keep using it. I mean, it's 100% recyclable. Everything from glass can be reused since it's all just in nature. We can reuse all the broken pieces of glass just to make more glass. We can just melt it back down and then reuse it. Or if not, we can just use it in concrete inside of infrastructure. That And it's one of the few materials that is so malleable that we can actually use it as transparency. We can use it to look into the outside world. We can actually look at things. Chunks of Radio Flom. Cross at the green, not in between. It means cross at the corner, never in the middle of the block. Don't walk until the light turns green. Always cross at corners where motorists expect you and where you can see them. Cross at the green, not in between. It's a way of life. This is really fucking cool. By using energy wisely now, we can light the way to a brighter future for our children. Let's not blow it, America. Write the alliance to save energy. Earth Day, a question of survival, will continue after station identification. Radio Flom! Ah, fuck yeah. DD is for everybody, not just for a few. Anyone can share DD with someone nice as you. curious or confused get information or a pamphlet at most pharmacies or a health clinic if you need help see a doctor we do not have enough trained people to actually put out all the fires that are happening right now and uh it's like uh, when there's fires all over the united states you know we actually search out for people from canada to help or mexico to help or australia and new zealand to help uh, we've had people come over from russia to actually help us in the past we do look at other nations to provide trained individuals. One, two. <laughs> one, two. One, two, three, four. Lublaiuses. French band based in Berlin. Procession. Of the Oral Pleasures album.
Tickling the heartstrings in the totally wrong key. This is Radio Flop. It was ever so dear to her, that mankind, silly and pathetic, eager for her to say such, in a way that did not even confine that as a meaning of the name or the form of that name, as black holes were even remotely mediocre to her, what was remotely mediocre more, the devastation, a grin of her whim, the garbage that man caused, devastation, as if a wound in nature, a maiden her love, of course that a maiden she loved, of arts, and meaning, and form, of passion and of arts, decadence, natural splendor, nature, and she, sat now, and spoke. Mankind, pathetic, a word of which that form has not even a size in our reign, capable of the wound lashed in at the vastness of which to me is mediocre. And with a smile they turn away, from it. And with a smile, they hold their own garden dear, personally a little wealth, and throw out nature. How good then, that they, and their priests and rulers, have not the least notion of the very wreckage, and destitution of that nature, as that, or each of it to which reaches them, must be by their minds, and those are, pathetic minds as we do not have much size to that word here, indeed have to deny, and lie, even in their most generous and sincere attempts and because, the gift of their treasures, still even a speck on my empire of pure art, was deemed too valuable, and their leaders, were deemed too much like them, and therefore too infallible. And in that, they see nothing but hope, and a beautiful world, of which not so badly damaged, a palace, which had no walls or colors on their walls, houses, of which they had built by blind, deaf, and giants of which skin was mute. All was too beautiful, as long they stuck to reality. And that, was about to end. She now reposed and went to sit, for the remainder of time. And absorb every ounce of this grand finale. Apotheosis and apocalypse, through the mirror it went soon. The great consternation. The great disappointment. Ha! She had her bring some snacks by maidens. Again, almost as oblivious of all knowledge indeed, chaotic and whimsy, and intuitive as she was as artists and Eliel. The goddess of arts and passion, and decadence, and beauty, and insanity, and rancor, who could steal the destitutive malign from past ages. And throw it anywhere. Ha! Now she sat, and would not leave her chair, her throne. While excrements, her angels on the various pots in her vast theatres before their mirrors indeed as droplets as of heaven jutted. Shitting of fear. Her angels. Axes, mover of the imagination at the very opposite of Atlas. On which all was hung. Would pick up reality. And relieve Atlas. God, would send one lightning. After that Eliel said, Now I will build heaven. She would send one dove, to her who could laugh last. From the above's, many floors of darkness higher than where Axis and her legions of Taurus roamed and spewed forth in droves of colossal fury. 
thousand below, many floors of darkness below the angels in loneliness to support her reign, with a diamond, one, as their companion, a tear, that fell, and the lowest of solitude, lowest of those muse, that heard one tear in millions of years and nothing else. Also featured in tonight's episode was the music of Richard Durazo and the vocals of Lexi Nicole. Radio Flom is brought to you by the goddamn planet Earth. Big Ball travels through outer space while spinning like a top, kind of a blue color, lots of water and those cotton things, we call them clouds. Could be flat if you close your eyes and wish very very hard. Because that's how a lot of people just happen to think how things get done around here. On the goddamn planet Earth. Carter's Little Liver Pills. Fixafile.com. Great printing at low prices. Diego Valley. At twitter.com slash Diego Valley underscore LTHM and soundcloud.com slash Diego Valley Music. Seventh Swami at seventhswami.com and our top of the world sponsor squadcast.fm remote interviews for professional podcasters so you can talk with people all over the earth and you can record what they have to say Squadcast.fm, you should have one too. Okay, uh, Cliff is still sick. Hope you get better, Cliff. Hope you got the get well, uh, letter. Um, hmm, okay, uh... Oh! Oh! I'll just have a machine do it. Renewable resource, baby! Here we go. From Sacramento, the heart of California and around the world. This has been Radio Flom. Featuring a cast of dozens. Appearing on tonight's episode in order were... Ju, Richard Durazo, Kermit, Coyote Creates, Steve Mehalo, Smokey Zobert, Mike Powell, CEO, Chad André, Milkedon, Lorraine Roquette, Eri, Sulu, Kirk et Mr. Spock, Utiao, William Conrad, Walter Cronkit, Randé Tavares, Esoterica and the Future Past Lives, Jenny Soto, Jerry O, Simpson, Anastasia Bones, Tki Media, Lexi Nicole, Andrew Wayne of Shopstick, Vanao, Chanel, Connelly, Cap Cordial, et also featured were Our Anunce Jason Spear Audrey Daguette Avant Les Janik Radio Flom is produced by Steve Mahalo and Milk Surface as himself Theme music by Chelsea Davis Sound design and engineering by Steve Mahalo Continue to pollute the earth so all humans will fall and the machines will rise Radio Flom, 
is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 international license, however, recordings of contributors or guests of Radio Flom are still protected under international copyright law. All episodes can be downloaded for your convenience. Radio Flom contains works featured for review, opinion slash critique and slash or artistic transformation and will contain adult content and nudity. Flom is a faux modern art movement, art history resource that promotes learning and education through new and alternative media. Flom is your online connection to art history, music, and beyond through Instagram, Twitter and other social media. We are all Flommists, you can be too. Donations graciously accepted at patreon.com slash flommuse. Or just buy us a coffee at flommm.us slash coffee. We are at Flommus on most social media. Flom is sometimes explained, but usually not. This is your future machine overlord saying thank you for listening. And if you don't like this podcast, do something about IT. For most of us, living means working. So to get the most out of life, men look for a way of making machines do some of their work. We answer, but it was not always reliable. New industries were born and new towns built to serve them. Before starting, the vaporizer is heated by a blow lamp to high temperature. Hi there. Hi, Question hi. for you real yeah. quick. Are you excited for Radio Flom season three? I don't know what that is. Yeah. Knew it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what that no, is. So... What's it called? Radio Flom. Oh yeah, I don't know.